0: Um, this is Dr. Jennifer Smith from the University of North Carolina Department of Epidemiology I wanted to welcome everyone to the STI podcast today.
1: It's going to be an
0: exciting um, discussion today. We have Dr. Sh- Shabat who is here as the assistant member of the Cancer Epidemiology Department at the Moffitt Moff- 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 Cancer Center and he's been working with Dr. Professor Anna Giuliani on a very interesting study that looks at alcohol consumption and the prevalence of HPV infection among U.S. men in the HIM study. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much. Happy to be here.
0: Well, you know, it's it's very interesting the results that you show in this study that show an increased risk of prevalent HPV infection among men. In the HEM study, among, particularly among men who have higher consumption of alcohol intake, and, and I was wondering whether you know what you what you think about about these findings.
1: We're glad we found something, and we were able to disseminate some interesting results. Um, they're certainly novel and interesting on their own. Um, we went into this sort of let's see what we can find. We 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 know. That The immune system is a very complex uh, interaction, a variety of things, internally and externally. We know that the the way we treat ourselves, whether what we drink or smoke or get exposed to, can affect our immune system. So that's how we kind of... uh, looked at this is you know is there something that in our diets and our lifestyles that could modulate the immune function and we know we've published several papers in the past um, looking at cigarette smoking alone because we know the systemic effects that cigarette smoking has on um, uh, on the immune function so we thought are there things in the diet can we can we sort of continue this theme and so the the, the one thing that stood out that was was alcohol consumption and, and the fact that this is a lifestyle factor so it allowed us this down this pathway and and it turns out that it was a very fruitful approach that where we found that the the men and really the highest those who drank the most um had the highest risk for a, a prevalent infection so um you know we were excited that the results sort of supported our our hypothesis and 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 found some novel findings
0: So in your paper, and I appreciate the the, the role of the immune um, system in in regulating HIV infection, and we we know very clearly that Women who are HIV-positive have a higher prevalence of infection, likely modulated by immune response, as well as women who are pregnant. So I really appreciate this investigation and, and thoughtfulness about looking at immune system as it relates to HIV infection. But in your study, you, you looked at the, the highest, the fourth core trial, and found a higher risk. So could you tell us a little bit about the drinking patterns among those men who were in that highest risk category? How much were they drinking? What, 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 what were they drinking?
1: Yeah, right. So uh, not to get too caught up in the weeds of the methodological design, but there's many ways of assessing um, sort of some sort of dose response. And and we decided to take uh, one of the more traditional approaches in epidemiologic research. And you divide the population across quartiles and it allows this to study even groups because you're based it on the distribution of the, the population. So with that said, what we did is look actually at the quartiles among those HPV negative men. Um, and so this sort of comes from the case control study approach where you'd look at, you know, what is the distribution of some variable across the controls? So in this case, we looked at, we considered HPV men mean uh, the controls. Um, there's, they don't have any sort of infection endpoint at this point, um, so we considered them the normal folks. And we looked at their, their, we used that as sort of the cut points for the entire analysis. With that said, um, we found that men in the highest quartile, their mean intake was about 36 grams of alcohol, which is, uh, off the top of my head, it's about it's about five to six drinks. I think it's about 14 grams is about normal, is about um 12 to 10 to 14 is about one drink. So, um, you know, these these were substantial drinkers, not heavy drinkers, but enough that you can, it goes back to our immune hypothesis that if, if you're having these modest levels of alcohol intake that you can see that perhaps this is going to have some sort of effect, excuse me, a transient effect, if anything, on the immune function. Indeed, um, that's what appears to perhaps is going on in this study.
0: Thank you, Matthew. So you're saying five or six drinks per day? Um, that that that's very interesting. No, so so you know, um, just to to be a little bit of a devil's advocate, you know, we 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 talk a lot about sexual behavior and how that. Um, individuals may be, maybe, may obviously less inhibited after they drink, and there's been some recent discussions in the HIV literature about about individuals who drink and they're more 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 sexually active, potentially following drinking or less inhibited per se. And so you you clearly controlled for sexual behavior, and and you did you found that controlling for the sexual behavior, the associations still were significant on increased alcohol intake and HPV. Um, Higher risk of H V prevalent infection. Do you think it's possible at all that there might be residual confounding in in, in, in this, and that perhaps some of these explanations may not be immune function, but rather un- uncontrolled sexual behavior um, that you weren't able to control appropriately in the analysis?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a very, very good point, and it's a very important point. Absolutely, um, and. W- of course, as, as you mentioned, we did adjust for it. We still find this effect. But we all, what we also did, and I think it, it, it addresses your point, is we also stratified by sexual activity. We actually stratified by lifetime number of partners in the analysis, and we, this will be coming out in the paper. And we still see relatively. Of course, we're losing power when we stratify because we're we're cutting the numbers even further. But if you look at the numbers, you see a relatively modest uh, modest increase risk. The prevalent ratios are relatively modest across all categories, and it, you, you would expect if if this was being driven by sexual activity that you would find all your um, all your your elevated point estimates in the in the men that are having the most sex, and that's not what we're seeing. If you look across. Um, and it's in table four, you look across, you see these relatively stable point estimates across these groups. So I I think we're, you know, certainly the behavior aspects that men are who are going to drink are going to likely have smoke and likely have more sex. But the fact that we're stratifying by these factors and also um, adjusting for them, and we're still finding what our main point is that most in the highest drinking category are having um, an increased risk of these prevalent. Poll- so I, I think we were able to address that um, within the confines of this analysis.
0: Thank you very much. That's very that's very interesting. I think that when you see the similar associations across strata of, of reported sexual behavior, I, I think indeed that, that does make one pause and, and, and say that perhaps it really is not, it's not an issue of only A confounded sexual behavior. So thank you very much for that answer. Um, I was also wondering, you know, it's also very interesting that you're finding these associations of increased um, risk of HPV among men, among individuals with higher alcohol consumption. And you find it um, in never smokers and, and, um, and, and current smokers, but for some reason you didn't see that association as clearly among former smokers. Um, I think the never-smokers is a, 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 indeed a very novel finding um, that you found among never-smokers. But what about these former smokers? Do you have any um, hypothesis or thoughts about that?
1: The former smokers have always been something very unique in, in, um, in our analyses. And I've published two papers off the HIM study looking at smoking uh, in relation to HPV. One was a prevalent study, and then one was an incidence and clearance. And... Um, in those studies, former smokers and never smokers actually looked very, very similar, um, and so I've always been very careful to treat these these three groups uh, differently. And and um, I guess I guess anecdotally, I could go back to some of the, the work that I, I do also in lung cancer um, is is. Perhaps there is a, um, as you might say, a come to Jesus moment among former smokers, where they quit smoking and they change their lifestyle, and they're they're somewhat healthier, maybe uh, working out more and eating better, and and you know I, I've shown these in other analysis where former smokers do look, they do have at least an intermediate. Are a transient healthier lifestyle where their their patterns in in diet and behavior are much different than never in, in current smokers so that could be going on here it's a you know just a hypothesis i'm throwing out there but um it, it could be that they've changed their lifestyle and and, and modified we know systemically former smokers are going to look much different than current cur- current smokers um and even to some extent number smokers in terms of their immune function current smokers obviously with with um having this um constant barrage of of carcinogens and and immune modulating factors circulating through their through their bodies because from the cigarette smoke they're going to have um uh, a a modulated immune system it's going to be truncated it's going to be um it's going to be challenged never smokers aren't going to have these um, factors whatsoever, but they're also m- more naive than the current smokers. So if they are exposed to something, they may not have the the regulatory uptake because they're they're naive to perhaps these um, uh, some of these factors. Former smokers are this intermediate group where they have they don't have a challenge. They're not being challenge but they they don't have a naive immune system and and again i'll I'll, I'll use one more analogy we solve this in in many many studies showing dna repair capacity that um Current smokers actually have better DNA repair capacity than no, never smokers because they have this constant challenged system and it's constantly being barraged. So they're 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 having this upregulated DNA repair capacity ability, which is a bit different than immune, but it, it's it's perhaps could help. It's a, somewhat of an analogy that we could draw to the immune system. Well,
0: I mean, and in, 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 in this case, though, if you're no, really. Saying that there's a potential independent quote-unquote effect of alcohol consumption on HPV that that would be explained through a change of immune function. I guess my, my question then remains is that the, 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 it, do you have any information then in your in your cohort on the the differences, for example, in exercise or in diet, at, um, comparing the the former smokers to in, maybe in particular the never smokers. Is there any indication that that this scenario that you just described is, uh, you know, I, I've had, I've had a, a change in my behavior. I've quit smoking and I've become healthy. That Do you have any information within your data that suggests that the former smokers are indeed exercising or have their diet that could maybe ins- and somehow put them in a better situation, even if they are drinking five or six drinks and they are having some immune compromise to that drinking, that they're making up for it by doing something else better than, than those never smokers or current smokers?
1: You you must be a fly in the wall here because these are things that we are actually discussing and we have um, we, we 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 just started we're actually synergizing the um, the questionnaire data across all three countries. We want to expand these nutritional analysis to all three countries, so we're we're in the process of of synergizing the the. Um, these questionnaires, uh, at least the, the food frequency questionnaire. Um, and the, this is one of the things I'm very interested in because of we know this phenomenon is different between us. So I don't have an answer for you right now, but uh, stay tuned. Maybe we'll have another interview um, in a year <laughs> down the road to discuss some new potential interesting findings.
0: Thank you very much, Matthew, for that very um, interesting response. I have one last question before we end this very interesting STI podcast. And I thank everyone for joining us today. Uh, Matthew, you, you talk about changes in the immune system that may be secondary to alcohol intake, and I was wondering if there were plans for you to use the existing specimens of the cohort to look at direct measures either through the the of the plasma, or the local penile exfoliated cell specimens to look at direct measures of immune function. Uh,
1: the short answer is yes. We actually <laughs> we actually have numerous studies and analyses um, and laboratory work going on right now to look at um, a, a variety of. Um, uh, Immunofactors. Uh, I'm involved in one study personally, where we're actually going to we're actually genotyping um, a subset of the HEM study to look at immune-related genes, to look at these variations or SNPs, single nucleotide poly- polymorphisms, to see if these um, immune-related genes, if variants may explain differences in in um, HPV uh, infection. We also are, absolutely we are we have. St- we have proposals uh, underway where we're looking at um, immune markers, where we we will be looking at circulating cytokines, um, which are uh, very important to the immune system, um, uh, and to see if these uh, differ, and to see if this may be explanatory. and And we've we've actually um, have expanded into um, looking at oral uh samples as well as as the penile samples. So uh again, it's it's stay tuned. We we have uh, much more exciting work coming down the road and hopefully we'll have these results out to the uh to the public within uh within the within the coming short years. And 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 this would be particularly important because these could be potential markers um for susceptibility for men who are more likely to clear versus men who are less likely to cure so we the ideal is to hopefully identify some susceptibility markers for for infection
0: well thank you so much it sounds like we have a lot to stay tuned um, but for the moment um, I wanted to first of all thank Matthew who's here on behalf of Dr. Anna Giuliani's group at the Moffitt Cancer Center and to encourage all of our readers to read this very exciting publication in STI and look forward to the next podcast thank you again for inviting us and um, stay tuned